Hello and welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 54. For this episode, we're going to be talking about Konami YY World 2 for the Nintendo Famicom. My name is Kevin Larrabee and I'm very happy to have back on the show the, uh, the person that I always go to if it's Konami related or Castlevania related, you know, shooter related, it's always going to be Kurt Collada from Hardcore Gaming 101. Kurt, how you doing? Hey, how are you doing? I'm great. Now we got this. We got this awesome mic set up, so it's going to be even better to hear from Kurt today. Uh, he's got a brand new snowball mic, and uh, I can't wait to talk about this game. I'm like, I'm not like, I'm not caffeinated. I'm just super excited to talk about this game because it is kick ass. So. Um, before we get into that, just two or three quick things for housekeeping. First, um, you know, we announced that we're going to be doing uh, hangouts for the Patreon supporters of Back in My Play. For anyone that's supporting at $3 or more per episode, there's going to be a dedicated once per month hangout for those folks. You can just come hang out with myself and, you know, one of the guests that I've had on the show to talk about games. We'll have a specific topic, but we can really go over anything. We'll just have a couple jumping off points. Also, uh, I did, this is something I've never done before, but I'm giving it a shot because I was talking to some people and I've really wanted to do gimmick on this show. And uh, the game is super expensive. Like I was just in Tokyo and I was with uh, Mohammed from Brave Wave and he bought like a box copy for like 500 bucks or something. It is, yeah. It's not cheap. <laughs> Last time I was in Japan four years ago, uh, that's like one of my missions was to try to find that game. Mm-hmm. And none of the stores I could find had it up until like the last day I was, uh, I found a store in Akihabara that had a box copy, which was like 12,000 yen, which at that point was oh, like, it's a, not bad at all. It was like 150 bucks. But at that point I already spent like a grand on video games. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I, I can't justify this. And then, of course, you know, the price ends up shooting up. So I ended up paying about that much just to get a loose copy like three years later. Oh, uh, yeah. It's uh, I, I saw a couple box copies. I didn't see any loose copies, but a couple box copies still floating around Akihabara and uh, Nakano if you really want to go pick up a copy if you're in Japan. But right now uh, it is about five to six hundred for a box copy, depending on condition. And I just want like a loose cart and those are going for two fifty to three hundred based on uh, condition. So uh, I put up a page at backofmyplay.com where uh, I'm just giving this a shot because I cannot justify, you know, buying a single Famicom tape for $250 uh, for the show. So we've had some people that have always emailed in, you know, I uh, love to support the show. And this is the way that you can do it. If you want to go to backmyplay.com, you can basically donate to get me to raise the funds so I can buy this game. And then we can talk about it on the show. And um, also, I'm just going to say right off the bat, you know, hardcoregaming101.net has a fantastic article on gimmick that I believe you did, Kurt. Yeah, I did it. I I'd, like. I think the way that the English speaking internet found out about it was this uh, really cool kind of let's play video by Frank Cifaldi. Yes, that's uh, just extremely well annotated. That goes over like how extraordinarily well designed that game is. Mm-hmm. Like it's extremely tough. Like I don't think I could beat more than like the third level on my own. But <laughs> it's it's still really solidly done. It's uh yeah definitely check out Frank's. I'll, I'll make sure to link 
to that in the show notes for this episode and also in that post. But uh, yeah, Frank's video, check that out for sure. Also a really good episode of Game Center CX that has been translated if you want to go uh, watch, you know, poor Japanese comedian <laughs> just get broken down by gimmick. And, and it's so weird because even in that episode, like, it's not like he even mentions like, oh, at least the music's really good. It's just like, oh, this is just super hard. Uh, so you can get to see him die maybe like 300, 400 times <laughs> in that game, which is, uh, it's always a blast. Um, so that is it for, for housekeeping stuff. The last thing I just want to mention is that I picked up the two disc soundtrack for this series for uh, part one and part two. So I'm going to be taking a bunch of music breaks. And even if I bring up a level in a game, I might end up playing the track for that level just because the the game soundtrack is absolutely phenomenal. So we're going to start off with the second track right now before we go talk about the history of YY World 2. Stick around. This is, uh, this is a really hard game to find history on. So Kurt is going to be taking the, the role for doing a lot of history in this game. I'm just going to quickly mention uh, that it came out January 5th, 1991 in Japan. It was, of course, published and developed by Konami. And uh, really, that is all I got, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure too much of the history beyond the... You know, the original YY World was a Famicom game released in 1988. Mm -hmm. It was, as far as I could tell, one of the first uh, really early video game crossovers. Yeah. Because it had, I mean, it starred two characters, which I think, I mean, they existed before this game, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Konami Man and Konami Lady. Mm -hmm. uh, and they get together with uh, Simon Belmont uh, from Castlevania, Fuma from Getsu Fumaden, uh, Moai Head from Gradius, and uh, Goemon from the Gunbear Goemon games, and Mikey from the Goonies and yeah. King Kong because they uh, had the license for those games, so they just stuck them in. And uh, playing as Konami, Man and Konami Lady, you have to rescue all the other characters and then uh, defeat the main bad guy. And uh, it's really ambitious, but it's not a terribly good game. Hmm. Like it's kind of neat because it's two player and it sort of feels like a uh, like it's based off of Castlevania, but uh, your your characters have extremely short uh, attack range. Uh, enemies are really fast. You can sort of like hit stun an enemy to kill them one by you know one at a time, but there's usually more than one enemy. And uh, I mean, there's a very specific route for the game. Like you can choose levels. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's you're really not free. Like there are certain stages you can't really enter without certain characters or certain areas that are too difficult unless you've gone through and gotten like Simon Belmont or something like that. So that's that's sort of how that series began. Yeah, I'll, I'll be real. Like I was totally like I talked to Kurt beforehand. I'm like, yeah, let's do part one. And I, I started playing it, and I was like, this is like the music's great, but this is not fun. And 
like you said, there's there's kind of like those gates and there's a Mega Man level, like level select and um, like I mentioned before, Game Center CX. If you really want to see that game played through, I would more I'd recommend uh, more so that you just go watch that episode of Game Center CX. It's actually a really good uh, just for the sake of you know the time right now. Um, Hideo Kojima had like a really long interview in that episode too because I watched it this week. Go uh, go check that out. But yeah, it's not like it's not a very good game where I feel like two is a really good game. Yeah. The second game is basically a completely different title that just takes the same basic concept. Mm -hmm. So they sort of ditch Konami, uh, Konami man, you know, somebody online says I keep pronouncing Konami wrong because it's like, you know, it was practically Konami, but whatever, who cares? (laughs) It's it's, it's like, you know, it's like an English word to me at this point. Yeah. Uh, But uh, anyway, Instead of starring uh, Konami Man, it stars this uh, little jetpack guy named uh, Rickleroo or Rickle or something to that effect. I've never seen his name spelled in English. And um, there's some bad guy. I think it's connected to the bad guy, the Twimby Games, uh, Dr. Waramon, I think the manual says. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has this castle floating in outer space called the Parsley Castle. And you're charged with saving this princess who's been kidnapped with the help of uh, all the different Konami people. Of course. Um, I mean, instead of having to rescue them, like your main character is Rikuru, but there are these little uh, floating contra like pods that you hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever you get it, you can change into one of the other five alternate Konami characters. Like there are five different at the beginning. You could choose from uh, like three at a time. Mm-hmm. Like it's uh, a really weird setup. Like you can only you, there's basically four different selections for the people that you can pick and it's you know a different combination of the three characters i think it was uh upa uh simon belmont uh goemon and uh it was bill uh from contra yeah and uh getsu fuma from getsu from Aden. ah yes so it's right. like uh three of the characters from the original one plus upa plus mm-hmm. uh you know bill and uh, and then of course Rikuru and Rikuru is pretty good because he has a double jump. But mm-hmm. each any other characters have their own special abilities. And uh, playing again recently, you know, Bill is by far the most overpowered. Yeah, uh, I mean the game's not very difficult to begin with, but he has he can he has a distance weapon that can fire across the screen and he can shoot up and down. So you could just like make total cake of the final boss with that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, when you transform into somebody, then that he kind of you, you take the form of that and you have about 60 seconds. Uh, and every time you take damage, it takes instead of like hurting like your main life meter, it just knocks things off the clock, mm-hmm. knocks seconds off. And then when it runs out, you turn back to Rikuru again, unless you could get another power up. And uh, it pretty much just continues like that through most of the game. It's a kick ass. It is an awesome premise for a game like konami has all these great franchises let's pull them all into one game and it is almost like it's literally like the avengers Yeah. 
the, the solid thing about this game is uh like all the the different types of gameplay styles there are like there's the main like side scrolling sort of stuff mm-hmm. but then i think it's around uh level three or so where you play one of two levels based on twinbee correct and i mean if you wouldn't know any better it's it's I mean, it's pretty faithful to what like a Twimby game would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like the style of the first the first game with graphics, you know, a little bit more modern. And uh, then later on, that there's levels where, which is basically like a gradient shooter. Mm-hmm. And there's like three three stages based on that. And then there's uh, this is like racing sort of game. Uh, I've, I Konami put out a game called Road Fighter, Correct, which yeah. I've never really played, so I don't know if there's any connection to that. And uh, like a dumb sliding puzzle game, yeah. Which, uh, which thankfully, uh, and, and I will say, this is this episode is going to be a little bit different than the other episodes, just because this is kind of like this isn't a game that we necessarily could have played when we were five years old. Um, so we're just going to have a general discussion about the game from here on out, uh, and I hope no one is offended by that. But let's keep going. Okay, uh, and then um, well, one of the things that struck me when I first played because this, this is one of the first games that I ever imported. Because I, I got into importing games when I was in college because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love Castlevania and uh, like one of my friends got me into the Gradius series. And the first Famicom game I ever got was a bootleg version of Kid Dracula. A bootlegged version? But yeah. Was it from like the back of a magazine or did you go to like Chinatown? No, it was, um, it was a guy online I had met through the Castlevania dungeon. He uh, lives in Brazil. And oh, he was like, okay. I'm looking for copies of Super Castlevania 4 and Zelda for the Game Boy. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay. So I, I went to Babbage's, and when the, you can still get stuff like that for like 10 bucks each. So I sent it back to him, and in return, he sent me a, uh, a Kid Dracula and a Famicom converter. Except the Kid Dracula, it's like this pink cartridge. It has uh, <laughs> like Chinese writing on it instead of Japanese and, uh, you know, Portuguese on the back. This is, you know, don't dip it in water or whatever. Tell me you still have this. Oh, of course. Does it, is, it, is it like... Is it accurate or is it glitchy? No, it's exactly the same game. Oh, so they just basically, you know, burned the ROM chips and put it on a board and put it in a new case. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And uh, I mean, it's always worked, you know, like I ended up buying a real copy, you Mm -hmm. know, several years down below, but it worked fine. And then, of course, you know, that was when uh, importers started selling more on eBay. So I got uh, both of the YY World games. And at that point, it was still in the stages of NS emulation was still kind of its infancy. Mm hmm. Uh, Konami games were kind of difficult to emulate because they all used their own mapper chips. And uh, it was sort of a while before they were able to integrate them so you could play them that they weren't glitchy. So at the time, like, it was really special because, you know, you couldn't emulate them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, go back to this game specific. Uh, one of the sections is based off of Frogger. And uh, at that time, I always thought that was really weird because, like, I had never put together that Frog- Konami had made Frogger. I totally did that during the stream, too. I'm like, is this... Frogger or is this something else? Because it's like obviously a lot more detailed than the original Frogger for the arcades. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it kind of threw me off a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, at the end of the game, you, you go out in outer space unless you play the, the Gradius levels. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go to the Parsley Castle, which is also suspended in space. So you have to go through the entrance by crossing these like, alien highway before mm-hmm. you can actually go into the castle. But uh, like Frogger is a series I had already associated with because uh, like in America it was distributed by Sega and the console versions were distributed by Parker Brothers. That's right. And at the time Hasbro had the license. They were doing their own Frogger things. So they even um, but the only reason why I know that uh, Frogger was, you know, a Konami arcade game is because of Time Pilot, because I went with someone to go help them pick up 
a Time Pilot in Frogger arcade machine. And that is when I learned that all Konami arcade uh, cabinets were made of absolute garbage <laughs> and that they deteriorate incredibly fast. So if you uh, are going to pick up a Konami arcade machine, make sure you take a look at the you know particle board because they were notorious for using just super cheap stuff that would just, I mean, 30 years later are just deteriorating like crazy. So uh, pro tip for that. Um, Okay, so maybe maybe what we can do is we can do this. So we can I want to because you you replayed through the game. So um, let's we'll talk. Let's just talk about uh, you know the history in this first segment. Then we will take a break and then we'll do uh, a second segment just to talk about you know what our fresh impressions are and see how this game holds up. But before we do that, um, let's continue talking about the history. And I know uh, one of the reasons why I want to also do this game was not just because I like picked it up on one of my first trips to uh, Tokyo because I saw, oh my God, like what are all these characters doing on this Konami game that have, like the Konami games also stand out in terms of the Famicom carts because of the top labels. Um, they actually have top labels, unlike a lot of other Famicom games with the nice Konami uh, logo. So you can know you're getting, so at least in, most likely getting some decent quality stuff out of it. But um, I've had this game for a super long time and also for the, the news of, you know, recent uh, where they're pre- basically just saying we're not going to make games anymore. And uh, I know there's been lots of negative people have been really mad and negative, And I think this is the perfect game to kind of celebrate the fantastic games that we've gotten through this company in the last 30 years or 40 years, 35 years. Wow. Um, and it's just it's just such a such a great game. So you played through when you imported one. Did you end up getting all the way through it? Because it also seems like a relatively hard game too. I mean, I, like I always thought it was pretty easy, especially compared to the first one. Because the first one I was, oh, you no, know, that's I, what I mean. Though, what I were you able to get through the first one? Oh yeah, eventually. Uh, it definitely took a while. They, I think there may have been some facts out at that time, mm-hmm. uh, so you could figure out the best way to do it. And just because it's one of those games that it gets easier the, the more you get into it. Because yeah. when you get at the beginning, you only start with uh, Konami Man and Konami Lady. You could switch between them, but every character has their own life bar. Mm-hmm. So once you start rescuing all six characters, then you have eight separate life bars. And uh, like they're they're usually pretty good about replenishing health and stuff like that. So if you stick with it, it becomes easier. It's just getting over that initial hurdle that's like a huge pain. Did it, did, did it like really – was it a big selling factor that – at least when I played through this, I kind of looked at it as like two different things. One, it's a love letter. To, it could be either a love letter to all their franchise. You could look at it like that. Or two, it's like, wow, they just reused all these assets that they had <laughs> for all these games. Like the sound effects, literally like the level layouts and you know things like that and just put them you – know, took a level or two from each one of these stages and then put it in a nice little – package what did you think at the time uh the first one i think definitely has that sort of feeling uh but i mean i was okay with this it's a crossover game so yeah. it was uh especially because i wasn't familiar with too many of the games at the time like i knew castlevania uh i was familiar with the goonies of course even though it was more like the goonies too yeah but uh, at the time i'd never played getsu fumaden or uh was that all that familiar with the goemon games mm-hmm. or anything like that yeah, there's also uh, I'm totally blanking on the the game, but there's two games for the Famicom that had a bunch of anime franchises that all teamed up together. I oh. think that's uh, the Famicom Jump games. Yes, you're right. Yes, I th- I've had those games forever, but I've never I never really put in. It was one of those like jumbo cartridges. Yeah, and for a long time I only had a uh, like I played this game with like, the adapter, so it wouldn't fit inside my Nintendo. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I've I've since got a Famicom, but I never I never went down to try it. 
It's uh, I've, I've heard very mixed things. Obviously, it's just you have to. It's very much like the um, the game that Capcom, not that Capcom put out, uh, but the game for the 3DS that I'm also blanking on the name of. Right now, Project X Zone is that the one? Okay, correct. Uh, So maybe not the best game, but if you really love those characters, it might be worth checking out. And also, that is a Japanese heavy game that you're going to be able to need to look up a fact or something else uh, for it. Um, I want to talk about the the two CD soundtrack that came out for it as well, just because uh, you can really get. Tied, you know, like you can make a mistake and buy the wrong one because there's two different versions of this soundtrack. There's one that originally came out a couple years ago, and there's one that just came out in 2014. And I will put the correct EAN number that you're going to want for the CD soundtrack of the latest one because it has a bunch of other tracks that are not on the other one. And it is uh, the newer one is generally about uh, an extra $10. The one that I picked up was 4,600 yen, so it's about $40 these days. And uh, don't forget, Amazon Japan will ship you uh, music CDs and soundtracks and stuff like that. Uh, with their international shipping and it gets there and like i just ordered a bunch of stuff got here in two days from dhl um so if you want just jump on amazon's uh, japan website and pick up the cd soundtrack because i know it's not going to be something that is uh printed a lot of copies and i will say this is just an incredible soundtrack even if you want to talk about uh part one uh no just the amount of tra- like it's the best tracks from all your favorite konami games all on one disc um, so give that uh, a look. I'm trying to think what else we need to cover. Um, oh, my favorite thing about the soundtrack yeah. uh, for the second game in particular was for one of the Gradius levels, the the song when you yeah. fight the, the Moai bosses. That song is only used in the MSX games originally. No way. So just to hear that particular song with the um, like the NES style late uh, Konami synth sounds really cool. It's like super fan service. Like this, you know, this series just for... Like who who would pick that up unless you knew, unless you yeah. knew that. You know? and that, that. That's why these all these sort of crossovers and even a lot of uh, Konami stuff back in the area was so gratifying. It's the same thing with uh, the Proteus stuff. Yeah. That there's uh, it just created this this whole sort of thing. Everything was sort of connected in the same universe. And that yeah. if you played one game, then you would pick up a reference somewhere else. And it was great for marketing too, mm-hmm. because then you're like, I mean, that's how I found out about these games, even though it was you know 15 years after they were released. Well, it's um. Let's take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about uh, you know playing through this game today. And uh, for me, just my first impressions, because it's the first time I've actually sat down and, and played all the way through it. But uh, the last thing I forgot to mention is that the game is relatively cheap. Like You can get copies for it if you're ever in uh, Tokyo. You can get copies for about 1,000 yen, so under you know $10 around, you know, give or take a dollar. And uh, you can also go on eBay and, and pick one up, although... Um, I was streaming the other night and there was like seven copies on eBay and all the people that were watching me stream bought a copy. So there's like, you might need to wait a week or two, but it's not worth spending more than, you know, probably $15 is probably the most you should probably spend on it plus some shipping. Um, so just make sure you're keeping an eye out on eBay or book a flight to Japan. It's, you know, only a 14 hour trip from the East coast. So, um, yeah, definitely give that stuff a look. Let's take it break you get to hear some more music from this awesome soundtrack and uh we'll be right back with more yy world 2 
Okay, so it's 2015, although I guess we didn't really go back to the past. Uh, we got to hear Kurt's awesome impressions of importing. I can't believe you're importing this game way back then and going through the risk of sending someone in Brazil a copy of Super Castlevania 4 <laughs> and some Game Boy game. Just it, to, he, he was honest. He kept his word. So yeah, I mean, back then, did on the forums. I hope they at least had like some kind of rating system, or he, he had some kind of rep. Oh no, it was just. I mean, this was just a, a guy that I had gotten contact with from the Castlevania dungeon. Oh man. So I mean, I, I like a lot of the stuff I bought off of eBay. Well, there was even uh, I, I got a couple of the other games because there was um he was a German that was visiting was, uh, either visiting or long term or living in Japan. Mm-hmm. And he would occasionally pick some stuff up for me. And in the turn, I would send him back some American games. Oh, man. People, people were just so much nicer and generous and trusting back then. Uh, the internet today is a little, a little different. Um, too many people have access to it, I guess. All right. So uh, I want to quickly mention before we get into this segment, like uh, Kurt was talking about before, just like the incredible lineup of characters in this game. And uh, the first thing that I did after playing through this game is I – uh, looked up Bio Bioamerica Bukute Upa. Probably pronounced that incorrectly. Uh, yeah, basically, but it's uh, Bioamerica Bukute Upa. So this game came out for the the Famicom, and this is the uh, because I had the uh, Upa, which is the baby with the rattle, uh, as one of my characters that I selected just randomly. Happened to have that character, and obviously I got to go through. Uh, that character staged something. Oh, man, this music is awesome. Like, this is still pretty fun. And uh, just a warning, like, that game came out on the disc system, and those copies go for, like, $100, $150. Also came out in cart, and it goes for, like, twice as much on the cart because it was a late print on the cart. Well, the, the disc system one, I think, should probably be pretty cheap. Um, but I was the just cartridge- looking on Amazon Japan, so that could be just depending on where you look. The cartridge is definitely expensive, though. Like, uh that was one of the, their uh, you know, FDS game releases, of course. And later on, it was like 92 or 93, pretty late, they re-released three of their old Famicom Disk System games as cartridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, Castlevania. Yes, that's right. Uh, Stinger, Morrow, Twin B, and then this one. And I have a theory about this game. The reason why they chose Upa was that Electronic Gaming Monthly at some point said that Konami was trying to publish Upa in America. Ah. And uh, there was word in the street that uh, Nintendo or Howard Lincoln or somebody specifically said that they didn't want it. What? So I feel like they like whenever you have a disc game, it needs to go through extra programming steps to convert it for a cartridge, not only because of memory requirements, but also for the music. Sound channels. Yeah. Yeah. Because like Castlevania and Stinger don't they didn't really use the extra sound channel that much, but Upa does. Mm -hmm. So uh I have a feeling they converted it in the background, but just end up being unreleased. So when it came to releasing the Famicom Disk System stuff, they're like, well, we have all this stuff lying around. We might as well just put it out. Uh, there, there are a bunch of games, obviously, from the, the disc system, even the original Legend of Zelda uh, that made it to cart form uh, eventually after they 
no longer had chip shortages or whatever the hell happens. Um, unfortunately, Zelda 2 never made it to cart. Yeah, this um, a lot of those never did, uh, you know, like the more Samajo games. Bobble Bobble, I don't think he did either. Or oh. if it did, it's super rare and expensive. I don't I don't think so. Um, but anyway, Upa, I think it, they, re- they released the disk system version on the Wii Virtual Console. Oh, okay. There for, you, uh, you know, internationally. So assuming that hasn't been taken down in, uh, you know, Konami or Hudson's mass cullings, then uh, you should probably uh, get it for like six bucks. Yeah, I know this is uh, this is rather off topic for this discussion. I know we should be talking about the the game, but that's one thing I, I, I did do when I was out in Japan is like make sure I, you know, grabbed all these Konami games that I wanted to make sure I had in my collection because of, you know, the potential scare of people thinking, oh, maybe they're going to take these games off of virtual console. They're obviously probably not going to put as much effort into getting these games on other platforms. And uh, that might just, again, be something you want to consider if you want to grab uh, some of these games. And don't forget, they also have other franchises like the, you know, the Turtles games. Uh, and just make sure you have a copy of Gradius 2 for your collection. It's a really good game. Um, so... I, I, I went into this game really not knowing what to expect, but like you said, right off the bat, you got a character with an awesome rocket double jump. So, you know, okay, it's going to be pretty good. You got a kick-ass first track for the first stage, which I probably, probably already played at this point. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first two stages are pretty much just like new for the game before you start going into worlds that take place in other games franchises yeah that's they aren't based off of anything they're uh, they're unique yeah so the the first one that you really hit on is world three which is twin b I suck at Twin B. That's a hard level. Like most of the game is pretty easy, except for like the shooter stages and uh, exactly like the racing one is strangely difficult. Exactly. There's like huge difficulty spikes on those stages where everything else you can get hit like a thousand times and it's no problem uh, because of how many times you're just constantly picking up power ups to transform into the other characters and you basically get a whole new life bar when that happens. But in these stages, you have to abide by the rules of the original game. So if you are not versed in your vertical and side-scrolling shooters, uh, it may take a little bit. But I eventually learned, you know, I learned how to get through it. I got lucky and I got the power-ups exactly where I needed to. And I was able to hold on to them and not get killed. I think in both the Twin B and the Gradius stage, just make sure that you get leveled up to the shield as soon as humanly possible because you can take a couple hits on each one of those shields. Um, there's also like a weird, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in Twin B, is there an actual like 3D segment in the Twin B game for the Famicom? Because after you beat that start stage on 3-1, you go to 3-2 and you go to like a bonus stage where you are flying, you know, basically in third person instead of top down. That's uh, there's nothing like that in the actual Twin B games. That's based off of another Konami game called Falcon, oh. which is a, a Famicom Disk System game. Okay, it's uh, it's pretty much just that. It's like a 3D shooter. It was one of the few games that actually worked with uh, Nintendo's 3D glasses, which was nice. basically the same as Sega's 3D glasses. And uh, 
I mean, it was like I, I picked up a copy of those things real cheap, and the, like the effect is awful. It's too it's too <laughs> tough to see, uh, and the game is kind of difficult just because how fast it moves. But it has it's you know it's a fun old Konami game. It has really good music, um, and in that section you're just shooting. Uh, you're just shooting clouds to get bells for bonus points. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a bonus level, but it's it's one of the just like cool visual uh, technical things that they put in. Okay, so do you, what about Rad Racer? How's Rad Racer looking 3D? Uh, I haven't played it. Okay, see that that could be like it could be the Wii Sports that makes that whole platform make sense. But maybe I think I have I don't know my the uh, I picked up the Famicom Disk System at a garage sale. Like well, not like the the whole thing, just like a, the disc drive. And had some in game America. In it. Yeah, there was a there's a guy at a, a couple towns over. He was uh, he was a huge collector, but he was shipping out for his job to like Singapore, so he's just getting rid of everything. Whoa! And uh, so I picked up that. I never got it working because it never came with a RAM cart. Oh yeah. And because uh, in order to connect the Famicom disk system to a Famicom, it has uh, the RAM cart you stick in the top, and then mm-hmm. you hook it in. And uh, I never found one of those. So I had no idea if it ever worked. But it came with uh, a disc in it. And uh, the thing with buying Famicom discs is not only the notoriously flaky, but since they were rewritable, you don't always know what you're going to get. Yeah. So I think uh, I think it was supposed to be Famicom 3D Rally, which I was like, all right, a 3D game I could try. But in reality, it was Xanic, which is good because Xanic is fantastic. Yeah, totally. And the other side was like volleyball or something dumb. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I will say my last trip to uh, Tokyo a couple weeks ago, I was able to pick up. There's, I don't know if you know, in like Nakano Mall, there's this store that sells just junk equipment, and sometimes they have some games in there, and it's usually absolute garbage and games that look like they were you know thrown in the garbage. But um, I was able to get like a really nice copy of Double Dribble for uh, the Famicom Disk System, and you know just a fun fact, there's music that plays. In the Famicom disc system version of Double Dribble, when you're playing basketball, huh. and it and it's like a good track. And I because you're used to obviously in the U.S. we got all in the cart, and in you know the actual gameplay, all you hear is don't 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 boom, and like there's actual music that plays while you are playing the game. So. If you ever see a copy of Double Dribble on the Famicom Disk System, go check it out. That reminds me, the company that put out the the recent YY World uh, music collection, mm-hmm. they've been like they're they're a company called Project Egg, yeah, and they're, they're sort of like the Japanese equivalent of good old games. They uh, they publish a lot of Japanese PC games, and they uh, they you just bundle them with emulators so you can play them in Windows. But they've gotten into music publishing over the past several years, yeah. And uh, for a long time, they were digital only, uh, but they they started. Uh, you know, publishing them on CDs. So in addition to that, they've also been putting out Famicom, Konami, 8-bit collections. There's at least two CDs now, I think, that has a lot of their Famicom disc system and cartridge games, including uh, exciting exciting basketball, I think, was Double Dribble. Yes. Um, yeah, that is, uh, again, I've been buying way too many CD soundtracks lately, but I should probably go uh, pick those up um but yeah again this episode is kind of like a celebration of uh konami so it's you know just everyone chill out if we're not talking about the game because we're <laughs> going to continue talking about it so world four we get to like this is where my 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 mind explodes because twin b you know i played it in the past but this is where you, you get dropped down into the first stage of Con- what's basically the first stage of contra
and you know with the music and then you can uh select uh bill as your character and you're like yeah i'm just playing like a chibi version of bill in contra and this kicks ass like it's got like the remixed song it's got uh you know all like the the power-ups like in those little like revealing you know boxes but instead of whatever it was like the eagle that would be in there it is instead uh the octopus from uh i forget what game uh proteus or like any yeah, yeah. i think I think that's when they first started their octopus thing. So again, you're getting getting these references, and I know Kurt's going to mention one about uh, Castlevania later on that he picked up on. But um, y- you get to go at the end of the stage, and basically, like in all these stages, you're more or less facing the final boss of that game in that in that actual stage. So at the end, you get to face the you know what is really the alien from the last stage of Contra, but instead he's kind of like. Again, he's kind of like super deformed, but a gigantic boss. And he's on a really small, uh, almost uh, snowmobile-looking thing that's flying around in space. And uh, again, the bosses continue to be easy. But contra- I mean, that that's just this is where I understood because we didn't get all these franchises, and we didn't all we didn't love all these franchises like people in Japan did. But this is when this game like really connected to me. All right, I got it. This is just like. Again, it's fan service in showing, you know, you know, letting me play through a level of Contra just like a completely different way. Um, and then there was World 5, which is the Biomerical level. Really cool if you want to be Bill and just do constant backflips instead of swimming up because you're swimming up constantly. And uh, instead of hitting, you know, you're hitting jump to go up, you're just constantly backflipping up through the stage, which is... Uh, bless. Have you ever played that actual game before, Kurt? Oh yeah, I have it. How is um, it? Is it is it worth is it worth picking up? It's pretty cute. I mean, there's a there's an article for it on the site. The main thing is uh the main, the the little baby kid Upa. He uh he attacks with a rattle that will turn enemies into clouds, mm-hmm. and you can use the clouds to uh, either like chuck them across the screen or jump on them. Okay, yeah, I found the game. It's like right now the only one that they have on Amazon. They only only have a brand new copy. That's why. Yeah, that's why the prices are crazy inflated. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, two hundred dollars is a little bit more than I can pay for a disc that is probably going to evaporate in ten years. Um, I'm looking through the the Wild World Two manual. You know that the water stage is technically melon soda. Well, the, yeah, there's lots of sweets throughout the stage, and it maybe yeah, they're all dessert based. You know, you have, you're getting attacked by ice cream cones. Like the ice cream cones that you would see in Bobble Bobble, but obviously different, you know, companies, different franchises. But uh, if you want to think of like the ice cream cones of vanilla ice cream that would be dropped if you uh, killed enemies. But instead, you're getting attacked by them in this game. Everything wants to kill you in YY World 2. Um, what else did I want to uh, mention? All right, so... World six is where you get to the the puzzle stage, which I had no idea how to do because it's one of those it's one of those puzzles where it's a square and you're missing there's one open spot, but then you get to shuffle everything around kind of uh, to make the picture back to what it originally was. But I didn't realize until I play through again tonight that you're supposed to be moving the character on the bottom of the screen back and forth so it did not get hit by like the train or whatever that was uh, on the bottom of the screen. So. One good thing about that, though, is that uh, there's no failure. Like, you can just fail all the puzzles, and it still lets you go to the next stage. Uh, did you complete all those puzzles, Kurt? I, do, I always choose the racing stage. Okay, yeah. See, I, I, I did a uh, 
different path. And Oh, I probably should have selected the option. See, again, this is a problem with not reading Japanese. Sometimes you just make a wrong turn, whether it be in uh, Japan or in Wild World World. That's another uh, cool fan service thing to bring up, is that in between levels, uh, this little receiver, which I think is supposed to be the receiver from Gear? from Metal Gear, the yeah. original one. Like, it doesn't look like it because it's just a tiny little uh, transceiver. It but makes it uses, the noise, though. It uses similar sound effects, so yeah. it's almost definitely a reference to it. And a little video pops up with characters from assorted games. Like, that's the only place, Konami Man and Konami Lady, they pop up there. Um, who else? Ebi Samara from Goemon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't remember what the other characters that pop up. But yeah, that's another cool little reference. Uh, I'm trying to think. So... World 7, I couldn't figure out if that was supposed to be a Castlevania level or what. That's Katsufuma then. One of the things about that game, okay, this is a, a game where you control, uh, you know, that that's sort of like Japanese warrior Fuma. Yeah. And um, it's it's been compared a lot to the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because the way it is is you have this overworld uh, con- that's, uh, you know, it's overhead. And then you walk and explore around the world until you get to these little gates where you enter a side-scrolling area. Mm-hmm. And uh, the controls and the way the character moves is a lot like Leonardo from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So the, it, people kind of suspect there might be some connection there. But anyway, it takes place in like uh, the Japanese underworld. And it's 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 a pretty big, expansive, expansive game. There's, again, in the way of a lot of other Konami games, there's first person dungeon crawling. There's there's different shops. It's just a really richly featured game. Uh, it also has a really unique graphic style. Like uh, it, it's supposed to take place in hell. So obviously there's like blood lakes and things like that yeah. but it's just just like the way it uses colors is this weird uncomfortable contrasting feeling to it um but also the levels they they tend to scroll from right to left mm-hmm. like i mean you can go back and forth between levels so you know if you are going one way you go left and right but when you start the game it goes right from left and that's why this stage in particular scrolls from right to left and this never came out in america no uh it never came out even though they seem to like it a whole lot because it was referenced in both yy world games and uh that castlevania harmony and despair like koji garashi must have really loved this game because he created a whole level based specifically off this game and included uh fuma as a downloadable playable character Okay, so now we're up to two games that you might want to pick up just because you discovered these franchises uh, in this game. The, the other game that I did end up uh, picking up, I know we haven't mentioned it yet, was the um, uh, it was the uh, Penguin game uh, for Famicom. You made Penguin Monogatari? Yes. Yes. And uh, I picked that up because I get, it was like 500 yen on... This is the problem because I, I still have friends in, in that live in Japan, so I'm having... Uh, I'm having games shipped to his house because there was some games I could not find while I was in Akihabara or in Tokyo. So, um, you know, that is one of the games that I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just go see how much it is, it's like 500 yen, and it's in perfect condition because, like, lots of the listings on Amazon Japan have pictures because that's something that people actually want to see, I guess, in Japan where you don't really see it so much in U.S. Amazon. But, um, 
yeah, that is a game that I'm looking forward to checking out. I checked out some uh, videos of it online, and it just looks like super cool. I mean, it looks easy, but um, it looks like it'd just be fun to play through. It is like it started as a Antarctic adventure, which mm-hmm. is a sort of like 3D racing game where you play as a penguin in a. You just, it's like a racing sort of thing. You have to jump over ice pits and watch out for polar bears and stuff. And there's an MSX sequel, which was quite a bit better. Uh, I think Hideo Kojima actually worked on that one. Uh, uh, and so this game is, it stars the same characters, even though it's totally different. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the, the main character, Pentaro, uh, he's gotten just like let himself go. So, <laughs> and, so his girlfriend is like, uh, I'm going to leave you unless you lose some weight. So the entire game is about getting in shape. Okay. So when you start off, you're just this like obese penguin waddling forward. Like you could belly flop on enemies and all of them, they attack by throwing like uh, things at you, which will make you fat again. And uh, the whole, the whole like, uh, I forget it's, there's something you have to get where you eventually become thinner and then you get different attacks. And none of it really makes sense because even if you become skinny and then, fallen water that inflates you back up to being fat again it works with that sort of weird video game logic oh man now i'm like i'm looking at the uh the page on on amazon and this is first off the box art is absolutely fantastic it's really cool looking like almost uh you know uh like it was made with um like play-doh or clay um but this is kind of the great google translate review that that sold me on this uh this is translated from japanese in Chrome, uh, Konami has released in NES late masterpiece, quote, diet action, surreal <laughs> content story that cute penguin, uh, Chiwi, uh, Genka game. This volume can be composed of six stages. So like you can always, these reviews are always super weird because it's obviously Google translate to, to go through them, but, um, it has one four star review, then one, one star review that said it was just hard to play enemy fat that it hits the food that throw is a, it's not even that didn't, word didn't translate, but uh, yeah, just if you want to have some fun, use Google Chrome, go on Amazon Japan and just take a look at uh, some stuff and just be blown away and jealous of the selection of all the retro games that they have on there for super cheap. It's great because at the end of the level, there's a, like a telephone mm-hmm. and there's this little meter of what your weight loss goal is. Oh, so, that sounds awesome. <laughs> if you're too fat. Then uh, your girlfriend, she apparently knows, even though she's over the phone, she breaks oh. up. With you. <laughs> she breaks up with you and you lose. That's such a Japanese <laughs> thing. That's kick ass. All right. I can't. OK, this is uh, unfortunately this box is going to get to my house when I'm not home uh, and on vac- not vacation on a business trip. But all right. So, yeah, we get to keep. OK, let's keep talking. So um, then you get to the world eight, which is, of course, your your gradius level where. Uh, if you do not have your vertical size scrolling skills sharpened, uh, you're going to be running into some problems, but very generous with the power up. So as long as you know, you know, what order you want to pick up those power ups and when to activate them, uh, you're going to be pretty much good to go. But it's just, again, you know, you get that Gradius, you know, first stage music at the start and, you know, you're going to be in for a good time.
And then I don't know if you took a different path, but this is this is where the game kicks ass. This is where the game just solidifies itself and makes it one of my favorite games that I've ever talked about on this show. And that's World Nine when you get to go into the world of Castlevania. Like two stages of just awesome Castlevania and you get two great remixes. I think it's Vampire Killer and Bloody Tears that you get. Yeah, I think those are them. those in this this i'll play both those tracks in this episode and you get to to hear that but um you know obviously you know Kurt, you're a huge fan of of castlevania again is that is that just it's just cool to go through that stuff oh yeah i mean they're replicated uh pretty well except a little bit cutesier uh i think the best part about it is when you uh you come across the the coffin and you think it's going to open up and spill out <laughs> mummies or something like that. Instead it just grows legs and starts yep. attacking. It has like a uh, spring boxing glove that attacks you with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what I was mentioning over Twitter before, and I had never noticed this up until today was that in one of the areas you're going up through a church, like in the beginning of Castlevania three, mm-hmm. except uh, in the stained glass windows are penguins. Of course. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not? Because again, it's uh let's just have some fun. Oh, we get yeah. This is this is the game. This is the game that is. It's the video game for, form of what this show is all about. And it's just like let's just go and have a ton of fun. We're not going to make it super difficult. It's just this is a time where you can sit down for. It might even if you die a couple times at most, it might take you like an hour and a half to play through this game. And if even if you can't do that, there's really good password support with a really awesome password. Uh, music track and just uh, it's based off of uh the game quarth <sighs> okay i didn't pick that up i saw <laughs> i saw that when I, I it's a puzzle game though right yeah it's a it's like a puzzle shooter hybrid oh crap all right so that makes sense how you implement or how you the password system is based off that game yeah because in quarth uh, the whole idea is is you know you have this little spaceship at the bottom and these bricks that stuff from uh, scroll from the top of the screen mm-hmm. and you shoot bricks at those bricks in order to create uh, like rectangles and that will cause them to disappear so in uh, wire world 2 there's a it's like a grid system and you just shoot the the bricks to uh, in that pattern should i purchase that game is that worth picking up it's you can get it i'm sure for a couple hundred yen it's, it's super it's, cheap yeah yeah it's not one of my favorite games but it's it's one of the ones that konami had a lot of faith in because they ported it like everywhere like it came out on the game boy here okay um, and that was the only time as far as i know it came out in america and then you get to the uh the final boss after you get to just have like i almost wanted to die just so i could go through those castlevania stages again and i saved that password so i can make sure i can go back and play those levels uh, a couple more times. But uh, then you get to see the the final big bad boss guy, which, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Bill from Contra, a little overpowered. All I did was shut up the whole time, got him stuck in a pattern so he could barely shoot at me because I kept hitting him and he'd freeze every time you hit him. And I killed him in about 60 seconds of my first try. Yeah. 
No and now I, I don't know what he is exactly. Like at the end, you see uh, Professor Cinnamon from Twinbee. Yeah. He hangs him up as like a like a Japanese doll, and I'm not <laughs> sure what those dolls are called. I, whatever. It's yeah. uh, you know a, again. It's this is a game that uh, I cannot recommend enough for people to to go pick up, go um, import it, and this is one of those things that. It, uh, for virtual console, it would have been really cool if they did a quick and dirty translation and threw it up there. Um, just because, I mean, the people that would buy virtual console games are really the people that would purchase this game because it is, uh, the best way I could put it is like, it, it is a love letter uh, to all these Konami franchises and just a blast to play through, not super hard. And it's easily in like the top five games that I played for this show. It's just, I, was laughing the whole time and on Twitch, uh, Twitch, I was streaming it and just had a, uh, just such, so much fun, uh, playing through this game. Uh, Kurt, how, how, what are your like final thoughts on it? Do you feel like it's still you know, worth picking up? How does it, where does it sit in the, uh, Konami franchises and such? Oh, on one hand, I feel it's a little bit too easy yeah. uh, compared to a lot of Konami games. And especially there's a couple levels I think are kind of boring. Um, the first most, two, maybe? the first two, the yeah. first one, just because it's kind of slow scroll, like the first yeah. they're auto scrolling. Mm-hmm. So there's not this whole like seconds go by where there's not really a whole lot happening. Uh, but then it, it, it picks up and especially um, if you start bringing in other characters and stuff, it's just there's so much jam packed in it mm-hmm. that it it, uh, it kind of makes up for it. Yeah. Plenty of references. You get uh, a soundtrack. So many different playing styles and, uh, yeah, exactly. you know, stuff like that. Go. uh if you can, again, I would I would recommend picking up the soundtrack. Make sure you get the right one. Don't get the first one because I believe they also had really bad mastering on the first version. So, yeah, I I years ago I had an old uh, soundtrack that had uh, I think the music from Konami Wild Wild World Two, Kid Dracula, and uh, oh, nice. this other game called I Senti Nicole. But since this is, this was printed in the early '90s, so mm-hmm. the recording quality was pretty poor. I th- that's why I sold it. And now again, it's like eighty bucks to buy again. But sure. it's it's not it's not worth getting it. Yeah, I, I forget who I was talking to um, about this, but I know just recently they've been tr- able to just get the str- like basically get the sound right from pumped right through the hardware, so it doesn't have to go through you know the actual stereo out of a console. Um, whether they recreated the hardware, but it is, you know, literally 100% perfect, clean quality recordings of these tracks. And uh, it's just been really cool to to get through this. Like you said, Egg has been putting out a lot of uh, CG soundtracks now. And um, also the, the Castlevania uh, Bass selections have been really, really good. Um, they didn't. They don't release this on CD, are they? I think they're just digital. Oh no, they're CDs. I got. Oh, they are CD. Yeah. Okay, because I know they put out uh, the full soundtracks to both the both the American and Japanese versions of Castlevania two and three. Because yes. in, in the past they had only put out those uh, compilations, mm-hmm. which uh, you know they pasted everything onto one track. They were yeah, missing yeah. stuff. They interspersed all the sound effects, and it's all weird. Yeah, it's um yeah, you can get Castlevania Best Selection one. I think it's closer to fifteen dollars and I think that is one disc, uh, which is Castlevania uh one, two and three, the, the Japanese versions, plus there's uh one or two arranged tracks on there as well, plus uh Castlevania Best Selection two is Super Castlevania on one disc, and then on the other disc it is Castlevania Adventure one and two. Um so you can have a sick 
sounding version of the last game uh, we talked about together, uh, Castlevania Adventure 2 for the Game Boy. Um, all right, well, let's take a quick break. We're going to be right back. we got a couple uh, things to discuss. Uh, so here's some more music from Wild Wild World 2. about this and uh i mean to be honest kurt i'm just interested to hear your thoughts on the whole deal with konami now that you know they are more or less leaving the the video game industry canceling uh silent hills uh as someone that you know is not only a fan of the you know the the company but you've also written a couple books yeah yeah um Okay, I've gotten over the impression of the long run that Konami's kind of a mess. <laughs> uh, and that that's, that's just as back as far as uh, just when you hear about what happened with Silent Hill and the issue with the voice actors, like they, they just yeah. don't do their due diligence in uh, cataloging things and making things are signed correctly. Um, the thing that bums me most about, about them is, uh, you know, Sega has this one producer there that he's like a really big retro fan. And he's the one that keeps all the, you know, all the reprints, all the 3DS games, all the PS2 Sega Ages releases. Yeah. He keeps, uh, you know, coming out. And Konami has as equally as a rich history as Sega does. Mm-hmm. And but there's no no equivalent to him that sort of keeps that sort of stuff alive, mm-hmm. which is a huge tragedy because all it ends up being is, you know, like they've been pretty good, I think, about virtual console releases. Like at this point, you can get most of the, the Castlevanias on there, and uh, I think a lot of the 3DS stuff, mm-hmm. uh, all of the old Nintendo games. But there's nobody that fulfills that same sort of role outside of you know Metal Gear. Um, so as far as what's happening with Hideo Kojima and Silent Hill, it's like I lost interest in Silent Hill like years ago. Like when they put it on the American team. Um, yeah. like the, the one Wii game, the Shattered Memories, wasn't too bad. But oh, I thought I loved that game. Yeah, that one say, was yeah. pretty decent. But beyond there, and it, it's just, it wasn't even necessarily the American team's fault because I mean I felt the series kind of went downhill starting the third one anyway, mm-hmm. and uh, like they weren't really necessarily terrible, but like they had just like hit its peak with the second game, mm-hmm. and uh, they were just reiterating and trying to capture that same thing and didn't really bring a whole lot new to it and again like the uh, the shattered memories with the whole ice world mm-hmm. that was i think an interesting thing but beyond that it like i didn't even play the most recent one so silent hill's been dead for me for a while metal gear solid the, the fourth game killed my interest in that <laughs> yeah i guess you went either one way you either really loved it or really hated it i that was one that was like the main reason I bought a PlayStation 3. I took 2 days off work. I played through 20 hours over the course of a weekend which <laughs> as an adult I never do. And I was just like, "Oh man, what did he do?" It was I mean, it's it's always felt like Hideo Kojima has been trying to get away from Metal Gear forever. Mm-hmm. Like as as men, as much as people like try to justify a lot of the stuff that Metal Gear Solid 2 did and as much as some of its themes are are pretty pretty interesting it's still like of a mess of a game like there's some stuff in there you just can't justify as good um 
And so I think he wanted to basically ruin the series there. And it kind of sort of worked because, you know, it Metal Gear Solid was like a triple A release to the PlayStation and that uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 is like a killer app. And then from there, Metal Gear Solid 3, even though it was it's a much better game overall, it didn't get uh, the attention as it did, which could have happened because it also came out in a more crowded marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel it hasn't. I mean, it's still really popular, obviously, especially for Konami, but it doesn't quite have that that uh, cultural mindshare that it used to. And uh, ever since then, I've sort of like my personal interest is lost in it. So for me, like, again, Gradius, they've like barely done anything with. They shoveled out the Otomedius games, which are oh, yeah, good for the 360 game, right? Yeah, there's yeah. two of them. Okay. Um, there's one for the arcade that was ported to the 360 that was only in Japan. And then the sequel, which was 360 only, which is an improvement, uh, but still is by no means a good game. Otomedius, um, excellent. I don't know how I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and, you know, Contra, they did a pretty good, uh, that hardcore release um, developed by the Guilty Gear guys. That was that was pretty decent. I wish they did more stuff for that. Like, they've had flashes in the pan of decency. Like, the Rebirth titles uh, for the Wii, I thought, uh, were all pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that they probably didn't do that well, which I would kind of attribute to the fact that they were on the WiiWare, and that digital platform was garbage. Yeah, who looks on the WiiWare, you know, I mean, for I, stuff? I, I totally admit I pirated those games because they took forever for them to bring them out in America. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's infuriating that, you know, they don't understand this is it's worldwide. Like, there's no reason. I mean, I'm not necessarily big Konami's fault. It might have been Nintendo's fault. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that stuff shouldn't have been day one around the world. And it took them months to get it. So, you know, the Wii was easily hackable. I just downloaded them. And I, I mean, I bought them later. And yeah, so yeah. I made everything like right. But. Uh, I'm sure if it was on a different platform, they might have seen a better return because they they had plans for a Jackal one. They had plans for a Salamander one. Oh, no way. Um, yeah. I mean, well, oh. the Jackal, the Jackal one was more of a like a 3D. That's like one of my favorite like games for the NES that no one not that no one ever talks about it. But like I had that game, like the, the mechanics of that game, just, you know, driving around on the Jeep on the NES <laughs> was just so it was so much fun. Not until Mercs that I have a better you know, jungle combat experience. <laughs> Just running over dudes in that Jeep. Oh, I know. Exactly. They made the best noise. Oh, damn. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we got to talk about Jackal at some point. I mean, that's a pretty quick game, but um, that's still, that's a game that's, that's cheap as hell and worth picking up. Go pick up a copy of Jackal for NES if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, they, there's actually, uh, they had leaked some screenshots for it. And uh, unlike the, the, the other Rebirth games were done in the style of Konami 16-bit games. And this one was a fully 3D remake. So who knows if it would have turned out any good. But then um, the Salamander one was the one that I think had mentioned, but it just, mm-hmm. it never came to be. Man, I just, uh, on my trip to, to Tokyo, I picked up uh, Gradius and Salamander collections for the Saturn. Uh, because I just I need to at some point get into those games because I love the soundtracks. Like I listen to the soundtracks all the time. I even bought the CD soundtracks, but uh, they're just difficult. <laughs> <laughs> that that they are, especially yeah. uh, like uh, as far as the like, Salamander games, I like the Nintendo Life Force a lot more than the other ones. Yeah, oh, like man, so, Life Force, like the, the arcade Life Force is it's just really damn hard. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly well balanced. It's not like the way the Gradius where um like you can regenerate your ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like you resurrect automatically where you pick up, and it just always feels like you're overwhelmed. 
Um, although the PC Engine version is really good because it's I feel it's a little bit better balanced. Yeah, I, I feel like I just these days if I'm going to play any kind of shooter, if I don't respawn immediately where I am, like I can't play R type because if I have to go all the way back to the start of the stage, it, it kills me. But I mean, Thunder Force Three and the Lightning Force uh, are both. They're not easy games, but I can actually play through them because of the way that they set it up. Like, I can just give myself max lives or, like, whatever it is. I can give myself five lives and the options, and then I can get good enough where I can play through a stage in five lives. Got to yeah. do that, guys. Um, I, yeah, I, I forgot what I was going to say. I think, yeah, I think maybe their, their last, <laughs> the last thing that they ever did that we could thank, thank them for is uh, in 2 on... Uh, PSN, so people actually yeah. finally got that, I guess. Yeah, so I think that uh, I've been seeing that the third one has been rated for uh, the PS3 archives too, and oh. that was something that, like, nobody understood what the holdup was for that. Yeah, because, because it got rated like years ago, right? Yeah, they released Suicoden, and it seemed like they were gearing up to release Suicoden too, and then there was just radio silence. And uh, I think there's some uh, someone on NeoGaf that worked for Konami that made some vague. Allu- Vague allusion to the fact that they wanted to release it, but there is something holding it up, either legal or technical, that couldn't. Hmm. Like, there's speculations. Like, the the localization for that game is super buggy. Like, uh, <coughs> I, I feel like we've talked about this before. I can't remember. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, but like during one of the battles, music just doesn't play. Mm-hmm. There's a character that's supposed to sing a vocal song. She just sits in mimes <laughs> silence for three minutes. Uh, oh, I got to like, play through these games. I, I've been. This is one of my. I'm the, the RPGs are just a territory that I never really got into until now, and they just a forty fifty hour. Inv- like I'm playing through Persona Four right now, and I'm at the forty hour mark. I'm finally getting through that. It's taken me two years to play through this game, um, but having those two games on my Vita for the day that I some like that day when I'll actually have time to play through those games because. Again, other thing, I have the soundtracks for those games. I think the music in it is incredible. Um, and I know that people just say nothing but great things about those games. I guess more than one than two, but... Uh, oh, the two, second is a lot better. Oh, the second's first. a lot better. Okay. Yeah. Like, I I never really liked the first game that much. You know, and it was a... It was a not launch, but it was really early yeah. PlayStation. And it just... I mean, it's, it's 2D, so it doesn't have that sort of 3D jank, but it never really captured me. Uh, was the that second, Saturn 2, or was that... They uh, released it on the Saturn. Okay. It was it was sort of the situation like with Symphony of the Night, where uh, it was PlayStation originally, then it got ported. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I mean I don't I don't think the port was that great. Um, but the yeah, second a lot of the one Saturn is ports were kind of rough, huh? Yeah, they were they were like outsourced to like a like a B team somewhere. Great. So they weren't they weren't really uh, designed for it in mind. But uh, yeah, the second one is much better. Um, it's a lot. It's it's longer. Like the first one's kind of brief. Uh, the second one, I think I remember beating in like 20 hours or so. The okay. thing is for the second one is, uh, you have to, you know, it's almost mandatory to play with a guide okay. <laughs> because in order to get the good ending of the game, you need to collect all 108 characters. Oh no. All right. And, you're uh, scaring me a little bit, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> Cause when I played it through, you know, when I play RPGs, I, I never really look at guides. So yeah. I just, I, I recruited whatever characters I got. I beat the game. And the, the normal ending of the game is super depressing. <laughs> so to get the good ending, you have to get all 108 characters. And um, 
like there are missable characters like at a certain point of the game that you just you know if you miss them they're gone and you'll never be able to get it like i was so infuriated that i went out and bought a dex drive which was that like memory yeah, card adapter sh- yeah that you could download save games so i just i bought it i downloaded a save game bought the final battle saw the ending i was like oh, okay I'm, I'm happy now wow yeah those it was always on the uh, you know the shelf of your local electronics boutique Did it yeah they're, they're totally totally unusable now because they uh they use, I think, the uh, like the parallel a printer port. Which oh, that's true. Yeah, and those the are software for it that you would need to like have a Windows ninety five machine for. Yeah, the software was garbage too. So, I mean, they're unusable nowadays. But at the time, it was super useful. Uh, and I, I have to ask you before we wrap up. Um, I mean, this is kind of decent timing, but now they're. I mean, it's actually happening now. This sword or whip page is <laughs> oh, now yeah. online. So, I don't know if if you know anything or. Uh, like what do you what do you what do you think is going to happen? What do you think this game is going to be? Uh, it's definitely a lead up to his Kickstarter. Um, there, I did a little bit of research because the uh, somebody posted on the Castlevania Dungeon forums, and uh, I think the the email address they they registered was linked to some other uh, other promotional sort of things. Ah, so it's just gearing up towards whatever that is. You gonna you gonna you gonna throw in your cash? Oh, absolutely. All right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Unless it ends up like looking completely dire, but you know, I, I have enough trust in it. So I'm just <laughs> I know that sounds bad because everybody takes advantage of that. But yeah, I, I would I'd put in money. Well, I, you know, like in a fune, you know, Mighty Number no. Nine is going to come out. It's on its it's on its way, and we got Mighty Gunvolt, which you know, I guess he had you know a part in. So those are those should be good. I hear a lot of people are not too happy with Mighty Number no. Nine, and I don't. I mean, I haven't really followed it uh, that that closely. Uh, we can, we really just go, we gotta wait till they're done, man. Because yeah, I mean it's it's tough to judge a game that's still in development. So yeah, it's 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 what happens when they keep just throwing, you know, random thirty second, you know, piece of levels on the on the internet. But uh, yeah, sort uh, dot com, and uh, it looks like they're going to be doing a stream with uh, kind of funny games. The the old guys that were at IGN uh, on May eleventh at eleven a.m. Pacific. And they're going to stream all day to launch that Kickstarter. So, I mean, I'm just I'm just curious because I, I saw obviously on the page that you, I don't know if that's the art design that they're going to be going with for the game. <laughs> then with the jacket, it looks like Igarashi. Yeah, that um, reminds me. Today he did a stream with uh, Double Fine. Yeah, I, I've and only I, watched half of that. I didn't watch any of it because I was at work, but I saw an EV Club article for it that he mentioned. It's just like sort of weird trivia, all this stuff that they couldn't fit in. Yeah, like. Uh, there's a, the Schmopulations guy he posts up an interview that talks about how they were originally going to have a good and evil alignment system mm-hmm. end up didn't get, not getting implemented but apparently uh, there was going to be like a skeleton carpenter that like you could do uh, and he would craft different like status windows for you <laughs> and it's like the reason why the status windows are so barren in the game is because uh, that was like the default and they didn't have time to implement all the fanciness so it kind of got cut yeah it was part of it <laughs> it's, just, it's just what they had in development and they just never added to it like they said he wanted to have like a gothic look to it uh but they just never did yeah i'm I'm an hour and five minutes into a two hour and 15 minute uh video that i've only been able to see bits and pieces of throughout the day because i've been uh working but the uh kicks ass that they're doing stuff like that and it's getting people hyped up like he's like guys don't forget i made this game (laughs) so i can make some good stuff um and symphony of the night pretty good pretty good game pretty good uh that's a 
yeah, that's a that's a game that you can pretty much go back to almost every year and play through it. It's really, really good. Um, all right, so of course, I, I got to mention, uh, first off, HardcoreGaming101.net. Uh, you guys have just been kicking ass with content. Like literally every day, something new is up on that website. And uh, the first thing I'm going to, to mention is that uh, people need to go uh, to patreon.com slash hg 101 to continue to support the awesome content uh, that you're doing. As soon as I am uh, done with the show, I'm going to jump on there just because you guys have just been on, you've been on a roll and really not just that, but the, the awesome uh, HG 101 presents books, including uh, the Konami shooters, of course, Castlevania, which is now unofficial. Uh, if you got one of those, like I got one of those official, well, not official, but the one without the the tag on it. So I'm, I feel like I got a piece of history. And uh, you also revised the Sega Arcade Classics uh, Volume 1 book, all available on Amazon. And usually they run for like around 20 bucks, full color, just awesome, awesome books that I'm super happy to have in my collection and that I go to for for reference. But what, what do you got coming up? Because I know, uh, of course, you're always updating uh, the website. Anything coming down the road that people should keep an eye out for? Uh, um, I'm going to start up a, a series of smaller books that are like 75 pages or so. So it'll be uh, quite a bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. That are going to be focused on like a variety of topics, like more of a like a magazine format. Oh, nice. So right. the the one that I'm probably going to be uh, officially announcing pretty soon is, is focuses on Strider and Bionic Commando. Mm-hmm. And in addition to those games, it includes like all the Strider clones, like uh, like Run Saber and Cannon Dancer. Oh, and this- Run Saber's super cool. There's this really crappy uh, Omega clone called Assassin, um, and then there's the other kind of bad game, Moondiver. Uh, <laughs> and then there's also put in a whole bunch of uh, not necessarily Bionic Commando clones, but games that use the same sort of like wire action game mm-hmm. uh, sort of stuff. And I also have a couple other columns where uh, one of them is a like western computer games that got ported to the famicom but weren't ported back to america which is like a really obscure uh topic it's just something that briefly fascinated me like with all these like strange commodore and spectrum games that end up over there that like in some cases were just completely different games like 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 what's an example what what have you been uh, seeing okay uh the game hacker yeah uh it was an activision game where you originally you were supposed to like hack into the system mm-hmm. and uh you would you you travel between these different uh, tubes underground to do all sorts of espionage work. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Famicom Disk System game, they turned it into like a cutesy little robot. Uh, like I mean, you were still you controlled a robot in the original game, but it was just like this, like a crane on a tank sort of thing. This is a, a cute little mascot thing. Mm-hmm. Like you go through towns like Dragon Quest. When you explore the the dungeons, you have to fight stuff. It's just uh, really strange. It also opens up like have you ever seen the movie Cloak and Dagger? Yes, of course. Yeah. It opens up the same way where, like, you witness a murder and somebody drops a Famicom disc, so you put it in, and that's when the game begins. <laughs> okay. Um, when, when, okay, I don't need to put you on, like, I don't mean to put you on a deadline, but uh, when, I got I to gotta see this. When, oh, when are you expecting it, to put this out? Probably next month or so. Okay. I mean, like, that's just, a, like, a tiny part in a large article, because there's, like, like, 20 or so games, I think, 15 or 20. Um, and then the, I also uh, assembled a collection of like capsule reviews of 80 different Japanese PlayStation games because mm-hmm. there's just so many PlayStation games that never came out here. Yeah. Like like 
around the time that America was uh, is having its like CD-ROM renaissance, and since CDs were so cheap, everybody was just getting in and making all this weird experimental stuff, which nowadays is almost an entirely unplayable because they were made for Windows 95 and they just don't work anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, that happened on the PlayStation over there. So it's just so much bizarre stuff. Like some are like good fighting games and uh, or just action games, and others just weird things like LSD. So uh, I just put like 80 capsule reviews of uh different ones i found were interesting and uh in future volumes i hope to make it a series like the next one i'm working on right now is 880 super famicom games and just to give a like a quick look at all sorts of the weird stuff that we missed out on awesome yeah no see this is again if you're listening to this podcast you know go and support hardcoregaming101.net um again uh, patreon.com slash hg 101 and uh while you're there i'd really appreciate it if you also uh support back in my play like i said people that are at that three dollar or more tier per episode we're now going to be doing a monthly uh google hangout with those folks so you can come on and talk about you know whatever you want to talk about or you can contribute to the topic that we have uh for that day or that night we're going to be trying to do these um on a weeknight probably a thursday night around 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to give everyone an opportunity and we'll shuffle the times around. So, you know, wherever you are, you can get in on the uh, action and do some stuff on the uh, weekends. And like I said, I'm hoping we can get this. uh, I know this is kind of weird to ask for money for a game so we can do an episode on it. But um, if you go to backofmyplay.com, there's a, you know, the page that's going to be right next to this is about putting together some cash so I can pick up a copy of gimmick so we can talk about it, uh, on the show just because I know, you know, you could emulate it. You totally could emulate it. You could get that weird version that came out in Europe. Uh, what was it? Scandinavia? Yeah. I got a super low prick run in Scandinavia, but since, uh, like one of the big appeals about gimmick is that it uses one of the Sunsoft mappers to add extra sound channels. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. Like and the it, soundtrack. it sounds so good. So good. Um, also, this is a soundtrack that I just got. Uh, it's Sunsoft uh, Cassette. You know, what's it called? Uh, ROM Cassette in something. Yeah, I have that soundtrack. Yeah, it has it, a strange name. Yeah, and uh, there's actually a really – that's a, another company that does a bunch of series of putting old video game music onto uh, CDs. And they've done Sunsoft and uh, Natsume and a bunch of other companies. But um, that, that, that Sunsoft disc is amazing because oh, – like, I yeah. mean, the, the earlier games is like, you know, the Wing of Madula and mm-hmm. uh, Maharaja and like Vlipal Island. Like nobody cares about the soundtracks of those games. It's sort of like the Japanese fan base. But then you get to Batman and uh, Jerry yeah. Decilius and, uh, of course, Gimmick. And uh, they just had such incredible soundtracks. Like the sound programmer was like a wizard. So I mean, every every Sunsoft game except for those initial couple really crappy Famicom releases that they had just had you know top to bottom. If you think you like if you like Blaster Master, oh yeah, uh, Blaster Master is an obvious one. But yeah, that's yeah. so good. I mean, everything kind of has that same. Yeah, it's ROM cassette in disc. I oh, know it's ROM cassette disc in Sunsoft is what it's called, and uh, you know. About thirty dollars on Amazon Japan again. If you want to go pick this up, and um, it's just oh, man, I've been buying t- and even Turbo Graphics like games like there's this Hue Card disc uh, in Bandai uh, Volume One and Two, which has like the Dragon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like a, if you want the TG sixteen music to or dine and things like that. Yeah, well, yeah, that's on Volume Two, but uh, honestly, oh, man, like Turbo Graphics music, pretty damn good. All right, uh, we, we could keep talking about this, or we could wrap it up. So let's uh, again mention that you should. Be checking out backofmyplay.com. That's where you're going to get 
the uh, episodes, of course. You can subscribe on iTunes, get fresh episodes there, and submit a review if you enjoy the show. I'd really appreciate that. And for uh, both Back in My Play and Hardcore Gaming 101, uh, you can support the production of the content from those sources at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash hg 101 for hardcore gaming, of course, and slash back in my play for back in my play. There's also tabs on each of those websites if you want to help out uh, as well. And like I said, let's right now we're at $62 for the gimmick fund. Uh, we get to get to $200 to make this possible. I will fit whatever the rest of the bill is. I'm guessing it's going to be about 100 bucks to get it, uh, you know, shipped from Japan and all that stuff. But let's. Uh, Let's see if we can make that happen, and then you get to hear some awesome music from from Gimmick, and I get to smash my head against the wall as I try to play through it. <laughs> um, but uh, that is that is it. And, of course, uh, make sure if you're on Twitter that you're following uh, both myself, at Kevin Larrabee, uh, at Back of My Play, and at HG underscore 101 for Kurt and to stay up, up to date with everything that HarkerGaming101.net uh, is up to again kurt always a blast man to talk to you just so knowledgeable about all this stuff and uh i don't think it's going to be too long until i'm gonna have to hit you up again to talk about potentially some kid dracula i think that might be the next one of course always a pleasure that's it folks we'll see you next time here's some more awesome music from this unbelievable game that should have come to the states it didn't but at least you get to hear about it now go to ebay before everyone else does take care